Don't handle this. Don't taste that. Don't touch the other. Three examples of religious rules that the writer to the Colossians dismisses as being based on merely human commands and teachings. It's a common but false perception that Christianity, indeed religion in general, can be boiled down to a list of do's and don'ts that interfere with people's freedom just to enjoy life. Or was it said on the bus, there's probably no God, so just get on with enjoying life and stop worrying about it. The reality, however, is that Jesus was quite a big fan of tearing up the rule book. If you Google regulations, in less than one second the search engine supplies you with 10 out of a possible total of 394 million results. We live in an age where people love making rules and regulations. Lots of people make a very good living out of making rules and regulations for other people to obey, and then find other people to enforce them and prosecute those who break them. And it all gets to feel really very oppressive. But actually, God isn't really into producing volumes of rules and regulations that you need to keep if you're going to stay in his good books. The trouble is that people quite like rules. People make rules sometimes because they like to know where they stand. And sometimes because if you have rules that other people have to keep, that gives you a degree of power over those other people. Some people like rules because it makes them feel safe. And if you're really not sure what you are or are not allowed to do, it's a lot easier to be able to look something up in a book or online than it is to try and figure it out for yourself. So what are the rules that Paul is gunning for in Colossians? Don't handle is the first one. Elsewhere, that verb has sexual connotations. In 1 Corinthians, the same verb is used where Paul engages with those who are saying it's wrong for a man to touch a woman in the sense of having sexual intercourse with her. And there's no doubt that there were many people in the early days of Christianity and since who thought that being holy either meant having no sex at all or maybe very occasionally sex with your wife if that was only for the express purpose of having children and then only in a certain way. Christians have always been a bit prone to having sexual hang-ups. Christian counsellors Louis and Melissa McBurnley talk about Christians being really bothered about what is or is not allowed in the bedroom. Can you regulate sex? All the different rules and regulations you have to follow for what you do? Well, if anyone's going to try, I guess it's going to be religious people. Though no one talked about giving up sex for Lent, I noticed. (laughs) The clear principle that sex is not about power, but it is about unselfish giving in a context of mutual love and trust, certainly applies. But having a clear principle is very different to having a set of rules that you need to look up and follow and to know. Rule number two was don't taste. You're not allowed to drink this. You're not allowed to eat that. In many religions, certain foods are prescribed. You won't find any Orthodox Jews enjoying egg and bacon for breakfast. That is one of the sacrifices that they make in terms of their devotion to the Lord. Go back a few years and you would find a strong expectation in Baptist churches, and probably this church as well if you go back far enough, that Christians should be teetotal. In the ancient world, if you wanted to be sure that what you ate and drank was okay, the simple rule of thumb was eat nothing but vegetables and drink nothing but water. 
And there were those who lived life that kind of way. That was part of their religious devotion, if you like. Those who adopted that diet as a principle of self-discipline. But to make that a rule, you're not allowed to eat this or taste that. That's a, a different matter. And rule number three, don't touch. Some things are unclean and to come into contact with them will contaminate you. Certain animals, dead bodies, blood, feces, sweat, semen, any bodily discharge actually, or anything that's come into contact with any bodily discharge is unclean and can make you unclean. Hygiene gloves hadn't been invented in those days, so those who were bothered about purity were obsessive about not touching anything unclean and into regular ritual washing and cleansing in a big way. And you never used other people's utensils because you didn't know where they'd been or what they'd been used for. So you only ever used your stuff and you only ever ate with people who you were sure were observing the same purity rules as you were. And Paul, as a Pharisee, before he met Christ, was into this in a big kind of way. One of the most rigorous and scrupulous observers of these kind of laws. And in Colossians, there's an acknowledgement that there's an element of truth and wisdom in these laws. There is virtue in practising humility and self-denial. If you're not into indulging physical appetites, you're going to be more open to God. And you may find your experience of worship is much more meaningful as a result. Yet the problem is, at least for Paul, that all these religious rules and regulations don't get to the heart of what God is really all about. They're associated more with what he calls the basic principles of this world, or as the New Revised Standard Version puts it, the elemental spirits of the universe. You can observe all of these rules scrupulously and carefully and rigidly without actually connecting with God at all. It's possible to be very, very religious and yet not really engage with God. And all these regulations operate on the basis that being holy entails avoiding contact with anything that might contaminate you. So no sex, no unclean food, no contact with anything impure. The rationale is that anything that may be unclean has some kind of destructive potential. So if you have sex, if you eat the wrong food, if your holiness is compromised by contact with what is impure and unclean, then you are going to be corrupted. You are going to perish. And the presumption is that so long as you avoid all these things, you're going to be fine. And the issue with that approach is that, as it says at the very end of this chapter of Colossians, these laws lack any value in restraining self-indulgence. Because the real problem doesn't lie with whatever it is that you're not allowed to handle, taste or touch. The problem with self-indulgence is that it's, it's actually something in here, in us, in the heart. And one of the reasons why Jesus wasn't really into rules is that he saw very clearly that the problem with each and every one of us starts inside us, not outside us. So at that point where his disciples were being criticised because they hadn't washed their hands for a meal. And for Pharisees, cleanliness wasn't just next to godliness, it was the ultimate expression of holiness. And so that caused the Pharisees who saw the disciples eating food without having washed, that caused them real problems. Not out of a concern for their health, but actually out of a concern that they weren't being holy and they weren't being clean. And so 
you know, they were being unclean and that kind of affected the spiritual health of the whole nation, potentially. But in response, Jesus has a bit of a go at them. He says, look, your worship is in vain because you're just following human commandments while your hearts are far away from God. He goes on to make the point that nothing that starts outside of a person can make them unclean if they ingest it. What makes you unclean is what comes from inside. And he spells it out. What you eat doesn't go into your heart. goes into your stomach and anything you don't absorb ends up being flushed down the toilet. What makes you unclean is what comes out of your heart. Because the heart is the origin of evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Greed. Malice. Envy. Slander. Arrogance. Folly. These things that start inside us, these are the things that really make us unclean in the sight of God. And to kind of shift attention away from those to kind of what you are not allowed to touch or to eat, that misses the major point of actually it's the attitude of the heart that counts. And the point is this. If the fundamental problem with humanity starts in here, then no amount of rules is going to sort that problem out. Rules and regulations may help us keep in check, keep us in check, and hold us back from the complete amorality that would ensue if we just did whatever we fancied, whenever we fancied doing it. But if the problem is going to be solved, actually, I need changing inside. And that's why the most important words in this paragraph in Colossians are the words with which Paul begins, since you died with Christ. You don't get much more of a radical change than that. Christianity is fundamentally and emphatically not about observing a list of do's and don'ts. It is about our sinful selves, our sinful attitudes and desires being put to death with Christ so that we can live a new life. One which isn't regulated by the Bible as if it were a rule book, but is governed by Jesus living his risen life in and through us. And as Colossians works out the implications of what that means in the coming chapters, we'll be thinking about that in the next few services as we trace the impact that dying with Christ and being raised with Christ has on our behaviour and our attitudes. One of the core strengths about Christianity is that it gets to the heart of the human problem. And the heart of the human problem is the human heart. And if we are genuinely transformed from the inside out, then our motivation for right and good living comes not from the rule book, but from the presence of the living Christ at the command centre of our lives. Governing our thoughts, our desires, our attitudes, our speech and our actions. And when Christ is enthroned, our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit and the whole of life becomes an expression of worship lived out in honour of the Son of God who loves us and who gave his life for us 
that we might have life. Who we are and how we live flows out of and is an expression of our worship of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to set us free from sin and change us from the inside out. It's a mysterious business, isn't it? This language about dying with Christ. It means that the crucifixion of Jesus is so much more than an historical event which took place nearly 2,000 years ago on a hill just outside Jerusalem. It means that because Jesus died, he has the power to put to death what is sinful in me. Colossians is quite big on the idea of union with Christ. Being one with Christ. Being in Christ. It's a major theme in the letter. And if we are in Christ, then that means what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. And if Jesus died, we die. In the sense of dying to and being separated from our old way of life. Jesus is raised, we are raised. In the sense of being empowered to live life a new way. When Jesus entered this world... He identified with humanity 100% in our sinful condition. That's why you see him queuing up with all the other people waiting to get baptised in the River Jordan for the forgiveness of their sins. Not that he himself needed forgiveness because he'd done nothing wrong, but he was saying, I am right here with you and alongside you in your messed up sinful lives. I'm here as one of you. I'm here to be right here with you. And on the cross, that identification went a step further, identifying with us to the point of becoming sin for us, bearing our sin, dying our death. And because he rose from death the third day, he also raises us up from sin and death as well and gives us new life. Union with Christ. Jesus identifying with us so that we can be identified with him. And what is true of him becomes true of us. And if Jesus' baptism was the time and place where he identified with us in our sinfulness, baptism for us is the place where we identify with him, where we express our desire to be united with him. And baptism is the time and the place where we say, Jesus, take my sin, die my death, live your risen life in and through me. Let me die with you to the person I used to be. Let me live with you to be the person you want me to become. Change me from the inside out and be the centre. Be the dynamic motivation and purpose for my life. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about rules. It's about Jesus, the rule breaker who establishes his rule of righteousness and love in our hearts and empowers us to live our lives his way. You can keep the rules and never know God. But if you have Jesus, you have God in all his fullness, right here, the centre of your life, in your heart. That makes all the difference to you and it can make all the difference in the world. Let's pray.
Lord, it's hard sometimes to know what is right and what is wrong. It's easier to follow the rules. Sometimes that means we rely on on the rules rather than on you. Refocus us. Jesus, bring us back to yourself because you are the one where it all begins and it all ends. Think of how you cut through all of the different mishmash of regulations and rules just to get to the heart of what belonging to God is about. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our neighbour as ourselves. Lord, make your priorities our priorities. Where our priorities are wrong, would you change us? And Lord, whether our lives have gone off the rails or whether we've we've fallen into the trap of, of being religious rather than being devoted to you, Lord, put to death what is sinful in us. And bring us alive to your presence within us as Saviour and as Lord. Lead us out of death into life. Out of falsehood into truth. Out of selfishness into love. Out of our own little empire into the freedom of your kingdom. For we ask it, Jesus. In your name. Amen. Amen.